My name is Andrea Aguilera. I'm a third-year pediatrics resident at Indiana University. Hi, I'm Dr. Girish Vitalper. I'm director of the Allergy and Immunology Fellowship Program here at IU. I've been here at IU since 2007. So today we're going to be talking about food allergies. In regards to the boards, allergy and immunology take about 3.5%, so it's an important topic to cover. Um, So let's get started. All right. So one of the more common questions I get asked um, when I'm talking about my interest in food allergy is why it seems to be a lot more prevalent these days. Can you talk a little bit towards that? Sure. Food allergies do seem to be more prevalent in today's society. Uh, However, we're not sure of the specific causes. There are multiple theories. For pediatrics board purposes, you probably don't need to go know all the multiple theories. And there may be different risk factors for different groups of children, depending on their background. But in general, the current prevalence of anaphylactic or potentially anaphylactic food allergies in the United States is about 8% or 1 in 12 children. Now, there may be other surveys that show that the numbers may look higher, but food allergies often described in different ways or uh, perhaps overreported because families often perceive digestive reactions or food intolerances and say that they're allergies. Yeah, one of the things the boards wants us to be able to differentiate is the difference between anaphylaxis and food poisoning. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Food poisoning involves a lot of issues um, uh, where somebody might eat a food and the reaction's often delayed. It's usually not immediate. Um, and the reactions tend to be very much digestive in nature, vomiting and diarrhea. And then depending on how much vomiting and diarrhea there is, then there will eventually can be dehydration. Uh, and sometimes there may even be a fever with all this, depending on the infectious agent. Anaphylaxis generally tends to be very quick, uh, within two hours of ingestion of the suspected food. 90% of the time, hives or skin involvement will be involved. Other body systems that can be involved are the gut, um, uh, uh, the respiratory system, and also cardiovascular system. Hives are one thing. Generally, if there's more than hives that are involved in the uh, system, depending on the specifics of the child and the family, it may be worth it to start thinking about anaphylaxis. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about what the most common food allergies are and how we should be addressing this in our clinic? In the United States, the most common food allergens tend to be milk, egg, peanut, tree nuts, soy, wheat, fish, and shellfish. I understand you have an acronym of WEMPS, W-E-M-P-S, wheat, egg, milk, peanut, uh, soy slash seafood, and that's certainly fine. But milk tends to be probably the most common food allergen in the U.S. at this time. Peanut allergy seems to be a hot topic right now. Can you talk a little bit about the new guidelines for peanut allergy? Sure. Peanut allergy has uh, received a lot of interest mainly because it tends to be a lifelong food allergy. I mean, about 20% of children do grow out of it, but that's uh, not obviously the majority. So studies have been done all over the world, but especially in England, looking at the benefits of uh, early peanut introduction. This big study was called the LEAP study, L-E-A-P, and it was done in London. Uh, And the results came out in 2015, and they've led to a lot of uh, important guidelines on peanut introduction. Basically, if there's an infant age four to six months, the baby doesn't have eczema, doesn't have any other food allergies, the recommendations are just to introduce peanut into their diet. 
Now, if that baby has significant eczema or egg allergy or both, then the, the, the provider should consider some further evaluation before thinking about uh, peanut introduction. As far as a type of evaluation, um, there's a couple of options. One is to send that infant to an allergist. The allergist can do a skin test to peanut, and if the skin test is negative, then the allergist would recommend peanut introduction either at home or in the office, depending on the family's level of comfort. If the skin test is positive, depending on the size of the skin test response, the allergist can decide whether it's worth it to do a peanut challenge or continue with peanut restriction and talk about emergency epinephrine injectors. But it's often not possible to get into an allergist promptly. So the primary care provider can then elect to do a peanut IgE level and again, I want to stress that this is just for peanut IgE, not for IgE to a panel or to many other foods. And if the peanut IgE is negative, then the primary care provider uh, can feel comfortable advising the family to either introduce peanut at, in the home or if they want to, to try it in their office. Thanks for summarizing that. Can you tell us a little bit about how, as general pediatricians, we can be introducing peanut to our patients? Sure. Uh, obviously, you don't want to give the infant uh, peanuts themselves because peanuts are a choking hazard. So we suggest a couple of choices. One is you can get peanut butter, and you can take a teaspoon of peanut butter and thin it out in baby food or applesauce or breast milk and uh, give it to the infant as a slurry. That's often very well tolerated. If that's not something that the baby enjoys, then there's certainly peanut powder options that are available, whether it's peanut butter powder or peanut flour by itself, and those are options. And when we talk about quantities, with peanut flour, it's a little bit easier because you can weigh out and suggest like, you know, three to four grams, uh, about two to three times per week. With peanut butter, we'd probably say similar amounts of a teaspoon or two, and again, doing it uh, two to three times a week at least. If the infant likes the peanut butter and wants to eat it every day, that's perfectly fine too. But again, we want to stress that this is not peanuts by themselves. We're not talking about doing uh, uh, candy bars that have peanuts in them or a lot of uh, sugar in them also. For our patients that we already know um, have a peanut allergy, can you talk a little bit about the future for them, um, any new therapies that we, we have coming? Sure. Well, one first thing is I want to stress that if they are known identified as having a peanut allergy, they should definitely be advised on how to read labels and implement a restriction of peanut in their diet. They should also be advised to carry an epinephrine injector with them at all times and shown how to use it. I also encourage families to check out a website called foodallergy.org, which is from Food Allergy Research and Education, uh, that has a lot of valuable information. And families should be empowered to, with a food allergy action plan uh, for their food allergy needs. At this point, the main recommendations are to have continued avoidance of peanut in all forms and be reassessed by the allergist uh, at least once a year. We do anticipate some very exciting treatment options in the near future. None of these are FDA approved yet, so I want to say that these are still very much in experimental or research stages. Oral immunotherapy is certainly a possibility, and that is a pro program wherein the child comes into the office, 
is given a small amount of peanut, then is encouraged to continue that amount of peanut every day for two or three weeks, come back to the office for a higher dose of that peanut product, and kind of gradually build up their tolerance over the course of several months. Now, the other thing I want to stress is, is that for these programs that involve oral immunotherapy, most of the time the goal is to increase the threshold for reaction. So it's not a cure, it does not necessarily involve that it mean that the child can eat peanut with impunity. Most of the currently available uh, treatment options being explored are talking about raising the threshold for a reaction. Then besides the oral immunotherapy, there is another program called peanut patch immunotherapy that is also being studied. And this is where we take um, a small patch of peanut protein and you basically stick it onto the back of the child that has the peanut allergy. And then the sticker of peanut protein is something that will help be absorbed into the skin and also perhaps stimulate uh, some increased tolerance of peanut. So could you talk a little bit about the relationship between eczema and food allergies? Sure. We know that uh, infants who start off having eczema very early on in life, that a very high portion of them do show evidence of antibodies towards various foods, and a certain portion of them do have or develop allergic reactions to foods. It's estimated that anywhere from 30 to 50% of infants show IgE or antibodies towards specific foods, but the relevance of these um, antibodies towards the actual skin condition still really needs to be explored. There are times that an infant will show a peanut IgE level but has never been exposed to peanut. In that case, that we would call the child as being sensitized, which means that they show IgE to something, but they've never been exposed, so we don't know if they're actually allergic or not. Mm-hmm. Then there are times that the family can say that the child did have eggs and had hives, um, that evidence of egg IgE that's there means that they're going along with the history allergic. The more confusing scenario comes when the child is actually eating something like wheat items or items that contain milk, but then show evidence of IgE to it. So then the family is left with this, well, is the milk or the wheat contributing to the eczema and causing all the skin issues? In that event, I would advise the family to first implement all of the aggressive skincare programs that has been advised to them by their pediatrician or dermatologist or allergy provider. Because no matter what is done in terms of food therapy, the child will still need aggressive skincare treatment with medications and emollients. Then if there's a desire to see how much the food is impacting a child's skin issues, then the family should probably think about removing that food in all forms from the child's diet for about two to three weeks and see what happens. And if there's been no improvement or very little improvement, then that food should certainly go back into the child's diet. On the other hand, if there has been significant improvement, then the family and allergy provider need to talk about a way of, okay, we avoid this food, but maybe we should still keep it going in the diet once every few weeks. There are certain risks to just going on diet elimination, and we know now that there are cases of uh, children who lose their immune tolerance to a particular food, and especially after three, four months or longer of avoidance of a food to which they've shown an IgE, if they retry it, there are cases that they may then have hives or anaphylaxis. So it's sort of like trading one set of problems for another. Yeah. 
And then there's also issues that go along with diet elimination, such as nutritional deficiencies and a, a decrease in quality of life. So FPIs, what is this? So FPIs is food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome. This is a different type of food allergy altogether. It is certainly an adverse food reaction, but it's thought to be mediated by T cells and occurs lower in the gut or in the intestine somewhere. So skin testing is not going to help with this situation. IgE blood tests are not going to help with this situation. It's history. And when we talk about history, it's usually the infant is four to six months old, has an exposure to rice cereal or oat cereal of some sort, um, and then about 90 to 120 minutes later, they start vomiting. And this isn't one spit-up, this isn't two spit-ups, this is severe, repetitive vomiting that happens several times, and to the point that the child looks like they may be vomiting bile, or they may look dehydrated. These are your kids that get admitted to the hospital. They can certainly get it. They certainly can be admitted to the hospital. They certainly do come to the emergency room at times and end up needing um, a hydration that way. Um, grains like rice tend to be the number one cause, but FPIs has been reported with a number of other foods like oats and milk and sweet potatoes and avocados and bananas as well. Most children do grow out of these tendencies for these food protein-induced enterocolitis reactions. It's hard to predict, but most of the time it does go away by the time they're in kindergarten. Any last um, closing thoughts, summary points, things you definitely want us to take home today? Sure. As far as uh, we've talked a lot about peanut, Um, the other things that we need to think about uh, as far as these other food allergens, milk, eggs, the majority of children who are allergic to milk and eggs will tolerate baked or extensively heated forms of these products just because the baking for 30 minutes or so in an oven breaks down the allergenic some of the allergenic proteins in the milk Mm -hmm. and the egg. So a lot of times, just because a child can handle um, uh, food that's come out of an oven, it does not mean that the child is not allergic to milk or has grown out of their milk allergy. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. The other point to remember about milk and egg allergy is that most children do grow out of milk and egg allergy. But again, whether it's age 3 or 13, we can't really predict. Children with milk and egg allergy do need annual evaluation by their allergist to see what's going on uh, in terms of their food issues. Some of these other foods, wheat, soy, those are also foods that sometimes the allergic reaction can resolve over time. But things like peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish are less commonly resolved over time. And one last thing is that we have to remember now sesame seeds are one of the faster rising food allergies in the world and are also now being listed as a uh, uh, one of the top uh, top eight to ten food allergens in many countries you have to add that as an extra s to yes. WEMPs. yes 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 WEMPs now gets an extra s of sesame seeds too <laughs> all right so yes foodallergy.org is a valuable source of information um Uh, And there's many other uh, 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 helpful sources of information from the American Academy of Allergy and American College of Allergy uh, uh, regarding uh, these food allergy issues. Awesome. Thank you so much for going over that with us today. Um, All right. My pleasure.